0: Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. Amen. It was the spring of 2000, the year of 2000, and 40,000 college students gathered on the lawn of, uh, of, a, of a place in Memphis, Tennessee called the Passion Conference. Um, no bathroom breaks were scheduled and uh, it had rained and, and no bathroom breaks scheduled, 40,000 people funneling through porta-potties and food tents. It had rained substantially the day before and students funneled on damp grass and wind blowed fiercely through that day. Um, John, the speaker, lost half of his notes on that day. It was very windy, and he lost all of his notes on that particular Sunday. Many of this, many people call this message the message that shaped a generation. One person notes at the time that they were in college and that this was a crucial building block that helped me see what it was worth to live for Jesus. A message that also talked about seashells. (laughs) Many recall that day in the crowd when a man who could have been their father at that point, John Piper, see his picture up there, got up and he gave a sermon centered around one idea. One idea, and the idea was this, don't waste your life. The opening line, he says this, you don't, know, you don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in this world. Don't waste your life. You don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in this world. And he said, you don't have to be smart or good looking or come from a good family, he told them. You just have to know a few basic glorious things, majestic, unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay your life down for them. And today I want to affirm John Piper's quote there, the words that are for us today, don't waste your life. Why, you may ask that, is because there is a purpose to your life, and there's a plan that is far greater than you could ever ask or imagine. All of us want to make our lives count, whatever stage of life we're in. The greatest decision you could ever make right now is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and then set a course for you and your family at this very moment. The most important decision you ever make. And there's a man named Paul. He becomes a Christian later in life, in fact, and becomes this missionary force, he becomes this Christian. I mean, God gets a hold of his life. And after years of hard hardness, and he says in Acts 20, 24, he says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. We have one shot at this life. And all of us may not become Apostle Pauls. We may not become these missionaries like Apostle Paul was. But I see a lot of ordinary Western Pennsylvanians who can be missionaries in your families. I see people in workplaces able to influence others. I see students able to be forces for good in schools and friends right now. I look around the room today. I see people in pews And missionaries. Missionaries in Lawrence County. Missionaries to families. Maybe even full-time. Maybe there is even some full-time missionaries. I don't know. Full-time missionaries. Or maybe future pastors or ministry leaders. And that's fine. But we all know we can be missionaries right now. Dads and moms raising their kids to love and serve God as well. Author Megan Hill writes this in her book, Learning to Love the Local Church. She says this. Says that a pew that you're sitting in right now, may be looking very ordinary for what it is, it's a pew. But whether your church has historically significant pews, custom seating, or metal folding chairs, your seat in church is more than it appears. It's more than the place you lay your Bible and collect your casserole dishes, right? It's more than the place where you regularly worship alongside maybe the 10 or 100 or 10,000 people. Of your local church. And if you belong to Christ, your seat is not just a seat in church, it's a seat in heaven. I love that. Within these pews are very ordinary folks, very ordinary people who together are able to form a community on mission for God in this world. And as Ken Hughes says this about this, from the onset, God's plan for reaching the world has been to create a people distinct from the world who would then minister to and then reach the world. God's plan has always been from the very beginning to choose a people that are set apart, to set apart for the sake of the world, a people chosen and set apart. And this is done through people. God designed it this way in this world. We, you see, we've been honing in, and what I'm praying for, earnestly, honestly, what I'm praying for in this series, we've been honing in on what it means to be the church, to be the church as a body, as a group of people, uh, for Jesus on mission, and what we do, and its purpose and function, and some of these answers, to these questions, I hope that have been answered in in some part uh, in this series as well. Because I believe church that healthy and growing and life sustaining churches, the communities that they're in, that the communities change that they're in them. For those types of churches, churches and communities such as ours right now, churches and communities that attend its values to love God, love their neighbors. And then also raise up the next generation or churches that God will bless. Um, so, I hopefully that maybe the purpose or the existence or why go to church or why be a part of this, some of that's been answered in this series. That's my prayer for you um, and for our church as well. And so, some of these pillars that we've talked about overlap. And so, uh, even as we go into today, that hopefully some of this will sort of overlap and make a little bit of sense to you as well. And so, today we're talking about mission. Mission. And I just want to be right up front and honest about mission. And I want to speak directly to you sitting in these pews. Because we're a very ordinary, all of us are just ordinary folks in western Pennsylvania. All of us, very ordinary, or students, or what have you, and you you get the idea. Um, Because it can feel, mission, when we say that, can feel very overwhelming. It can feel daunting, it can feel overwhelming. Um, But today, I want to specifically talk to you and me, myself, 'Cause it can be a very broad topic and feel daunting and overwhelming. Here's the key verse. I just want to hone in on this today. Matthew sixteen, eighteen says this. I Jesus says this, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what Jesus says. He makes that promise. And honestly, this is what I have hoped for in this series. I'm not sure what you think, when you think of the church, I'm not sure what you think of. You might think of, maybe, maybe you think of a building like quaint, or maybe you think of a quaint building, or a building that's historical in society, or maybe it's quaint and quiet, and you think of a building that needs cleaned before or after service, right? Maybe you think about that, about the church, and here's what I'm hoping for, and here's what I'm praying for that would produce in you the following in you. Ever see, Raise your hand if you've ever seen the Antique Roadshow. Raise your hand if you ever watched that show. Someone's got this blanket or clock upstairs in their closet or what have you upstairs and it's collecting dust and all of a sudden they bring it out and they, um, it's collected like three layers of dust on it and they were going to get rid of it, yet they bring, about, bring it out and there's this incredible treasure that's been found and it's like from the deep recesses of the closet and they bring it to this antique roadshow. Well, they bring it out and it gets valued and they're blown away with excitement because they had no clue it was that valuable. No clue it was that valuable. And there's a new affection that arises because of this gift, so to speak. And that's my prayer in this series, that when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Death will not stop Jesus' church. And if death will not stop the church, nothing will stop Christ's church. Nothing will stop his church. You see, there's a purpose to your life There is a purpose to your life where you live. There is a purpose for the church and then there's a purpose for the community in which it lives right now. Um, Your purpose has an existence in this life. Your purpose. We are created by God and created in a specific purpose and plan for your life. There is a purpose as to why you live, where you live, and how you live. And this was God's plan from the very beginning of time. There's a purpose to all of it. And you see, entirety of God's story right now is one of redemption. Um, The entire story of God is God bringing back the world and one day we'll make everything right again. And 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And see, the entirety and the grand scope of the Bible is that this one story is one of redemption, God bringing back the world to himself. And there's a point to all of these stories that are in here there is a direction, there's a point to all of these stories, um, and that there's a future, and there's a purpose, and there is a reason as to why God is doing things the way he's doing them, and the reason as to why these stories. And from the beginning of the Bible, there was a man and woman, and they sinned against God, which was not God's intention, but they chose another way. And from that very first verse to the very end of the Bible, it's all about God bringing back to himself, And there's this larger framework of God reconciling the world back to himself. And that can seem a little bit lost nowadays. God, are you absent? Are you turning? Are you even listening to our prayers? Are you listening to the eyes of your people? And God says this in his word that he's bringing back the world to himself. You see, every single verse and chapter and story all point to a God that desires the world to be in relationship with him so that we all may be redeemed. And if that's the case, then mission informs everything that we do. And if mission is linked to being in relationship with Jesus, then mission informs all that we do and say. Every single part of our life informs that. You see, God has chosen people to participate with him in the accomplishment of his mission. When God says, like, I'm bringing back the world to myself, it's the church and he chooses people to participate with him to be the means by which to accomplish that. And there's often this mindset of mission being left to those Christians who are to be called maybe to the mission field, perhaps, or to those who get enough financial support, or to do something that other Christians may have time to do if they have enough spare time to do after coming home from work. And maybe you're asking, like, why me? Like, why me? What is this about the rest of my life? What about western Pennsylvania? What does mission look like in Lawrence County? I mean, maybe you work an overnight shift, or maybe you stay at home all day, or maybe you work at a job, and you don't want to, you know, you maybe work at a job you just don't want to be at. And you're asking the question, what if I just don't feel like it? Maybe you're like, man, this sounds exhausting. <laughs> How could I ever measure up to this? How could I ever do this? You see, God wouldn't call his church to a task that he think wouldn't be accomplished. You see, he called a very ordinary group of people to this. Very ordinary ragtag group of people called disciples. And some of these guys in the eyes of the world would have not gotten along or wouldn't have been on the same side of the street together, in fact. Fishermen and tax collectors, a thief and a zealot. God calling very ordinary ragtag people, run-of-the-mill people and saying, come on, learn from me. Come follow me. Learn from me. And he knew he wasn't going to be around forever. And he knew he had to bring them along with them. You see, the church is designed to be very ordinary. We've got stay-at-home moms. We've got post office workers. We've got custodians. We've got maintenance folks. We've got healthcare workers. We've got truck drivers, retirees. We've got students. We've got day laborers. All of it is exactly the way God intended it to be. God knows us about mission. That you don't have to be a full-time, dedicated, Missionary, so to speak, to experience God in his mission or go on a missions trip. And God designed us to be where we're in service to him. You can do missions right where we are. So we at this church value this book, the preaching and teaching of the scriptures, and we value it faithfully. I pray that you, if you don't have a home church, find one that preaches and teaches the scriptures faithfully. Um, and it's on the, this Matthew chapter four. It's on the screen behind me on page 683, the Bible in front of you. If you would like to follow along in a hard copy, 683, Matthew 4, uh, 18 to 22 says this, Verse starting in verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Notice they're doing what they're doing in their occupation, in their line of work. And Jesus says, come what? follow me. Jesus said, and I will what? Send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and what? Followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them and immediately they left their boat and their father and what? Followed him. The result of following me, Jesus is like, okay, come follow me. The result of following me is that you're going to find people. Very ordinary people without formal, formal training. But Jesus is like, I'm going to train them. And he does this for three years and they learn from him. And in those days, Jesus was, in those days, if you were uh, Jewish, Jesus was very highly respected as a rabbi. He was a teacher and very highly respected. And this would be like an in-study residence to influence each other. And the promise to this group of disciples is that literally the imperative and the result of following, Jesus says, I will turn you into fishermen who catch for people. Notice says that Jesus says fishers of people. He gets very direct and very personal with their line of work. And in that text, the word follow is the present tense imperative. It says, live a life following me. Live a life following me. And notice as soon as they hear Jesus's word, they obey it and they leave their boat and their families. And this would have been very difficult for them to do. Yet the power of Jesus' word is that when they come to hear it Sunday and Sunday and whenever else, is that when we come and hear Jesus' word Sunday and Sunday and wherever else, that we'll have the willpower to leave what we should and follow what we ought. Can I say that again? But yet the power of Jesus' word is that when we hear it Sunday and Sunday and Sunday and whenever else we hear it, that we'll have the willpower to leave what we should and follow what we ought to. This is a natural rhythm of the Christian follower, the Christian life come and be this kind of paraphrase, come and be my lifetime student and I will make you catching with people. And I'll make you catching with people. There's always movement to the mission about that. The natural progression is that worship and following and being set apart are all of God's plan for being the disciple. And this progression is that as we continue to submit ourselves to Jesus and commit to follow his spirit and to be in relationship with God, there's a natural progression to find people. This is all God's design for the church and God's heart for the world and for you and for me. In Luke nineteen ten, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to what? Seek and save the lost. First Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but, what's that word there? Everyone to come to repentance. And for God, John 3:17. for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to, what's the word, save the world through him. You see, he chooses you to accomplish that plan. And you may be thinking, maybe the task is too daunting or simply can't be done given your time schedule or things to do or various roles or occupations. Or maybe this just seems downright hard or daunting. Or maybe you're discouraged and disappointed with the way things have gone and you've followed and you've been fishing And everything's felt like a failure or strange to you. So if you're discouraged today, discouraged, remember the price that was paid for your sins. Go back. Go back to the cross. If you're discouraged, remember the price that was paid for your sins. The scriptures say that you were bought with a price. Bought with a price. Go back to the cross. Go back to the point of the joy of what it felt like to me truly being saved, to know that your sins are completely forgiven under the cross. And God has completely canceled the debt and that you're a son or daughter of the king. Go back to that. And if you're here today and if you've been following Jesus, go back to the cross of having the joy of Jesus completely canceling the debt, the, the, completely canceling that, all the sins wiped out past, present, and future in your life. Go back to that joy and that you'll be with him for eternity. There's joy in that. Amen? Go back to the cross and says this, if, if you're like, man, if mission is hard, if you're like, this is hard, remember that that costs Jesus his life. Remember that it cost him his life. And what Jesus came to do literally cost him his life. Mission is often costly, but is it worth it? It's worth it. One of the crucial aspects about mission and what we think about mission is that we have to keep the cross central to our mission it's because anti, very antithetical to the mission is Satan. And to spiritual progress is Satan, is our enemy. Someone who is very anti anything to do with Christ. We must keep the cross central. Only through the cross is there forgiveness and justification and cleansing for guilty sinners. Only in the cross stands the defeat of evil powers. Only in the cross is there release from the fear of death And it's ultimate destruction altogether. Only in the cross are there the most intraceable of enemies reconciled. Only in the cross are we finally the witness of healing of all creation. So if you're discouraged or frustrated, remember the primary analogy Jesus uses is to catch people, is to fish, right? So I'm not necessarily a fisherman, okay? And I don't claim to be. I'm not that. Um, I'm not an avid fisherman, but I do enjoy it, enjoy it on occasion. I'm not an expert. I don't claim to be one. But I do know one of the primary things to being a fisherman is being patient. Can anyone agree or disagree to that? Okay, okay, we agree. Sometimes the fish bite, sometimes they don't. But there's a balance to being a fisherman. I see some heads nodding, so I think I'm, I think I'm going with I think I'm getting this right, um, there's sometimes a balance to being a fisherman. It requires church a lot of patience and perseverance. Does it not? Okay, require a lot of patience, and perseverance. There's a lot of persistence marked with perseverance when it comes to being a fisherman. When you go out and you don't catch a fish, I've rarely known a fisherman that will not go out the next time you're still, it's, there's a, just a joy being out there, even if you don't catch one. The joy of simply being a fisherman is enough to just simply being persistent. So does joy mark your life? Does it mark your Christian life? And Jesus says this is not easy. He says a mission is costly, but it's vital and it flows out of a life with God that's marked by joy. In John 15, 11, it says that these things I've spoken to you that my, what? Joy may be in you and that you're what? your joy may be full. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope, God is a God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace and believing. You, know, God wants to fill you with peace and joy and believing so that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. It's even the most basic part of God is that when the Holy Spirit indwells your life, the result is joy. Does joy mark your life? My life. There's a simple invitation to this mission. Notice that Jesus, when he calls these first followers to follow him, there's a very simple invitation. Notice that the words are come, kind of come and see. Very simple invitation that led those disciples and leads us to a very fuller picture with the life with Christ that we now have with him. Very simply this. You see, never underestimate the power of friendship and kindness in a very simple invitation. Never underestimate that. You know, for me, there's a few people in my life who've really shaped my journey along the way. And to be honest, I grew up in church and we've all got baggage. And this guy named Ed Mangum, I remember, grabbed me by the arm and he discipled me. And literally, it was just an invitation. He just put his arm around me. And I know you, maybe you've got some of those people in your life that have done that for you. He wrapped his arm around me, guided me along, and that's exactly what Jesus did. I imagine that's exactly what Jesus did with his disciples. At this point, when he called them church, he didn't call them with a job description or a prerequisite or a description or a to fill out or submit the resume or references or to recite the Old Testament. It was a very simple invitation. Who are the people in your life that you may be able to do the same thing, to invite them to this walk with God or to invite them to church or someone to radiate friendship? Who is that? There's somebody there. There's often stages, church, to when people come to faith in Christ, and it's all marked by very sincere friendship at every stage. And oftentimes, people come to faith in Christ in stages, and at every stage, friendship and relationship is absolutely crucial. Friendship and relationship is crucial. I believe that in these pews today, that everyone is a link in the chain for someone else. I believe that every person here is a link in the chain for someone else to come to Christ at some point in their life. But that's, God, that's God's good news and his work among us. That even this sounds scary or daunting or maybe you don't have it all together or you're not sure what to say, that Jesus promises us that we're going to be a witness. He promises us. He says in Acts 1.8 that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you what? We will be my witnesses. Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance in these conversations. A fruit of the Spirit is kindness, and I know even for my own life, it has been kindness that's been an open door to sharing a life of faith with someone else. I don't know how you could be unkind and share your faith, and that be effective witness. I'm not sure. But no conversation with others is wasted time. None of it is wasted time. I know that I was in high school... I got up, um, I had a high school job at a golf course and uh, I would wake up, I did not improve my golf game with that, just so you know. Um, I began every morning at five o'clock in the morning. This is a rather very, um, uh, this is just kind of plainly, very hard group of people. Um, It's kind of a tough bunch of people to work with, um, to work there and kindness came at a premium there. Um, and uh, particularly it came at a premium for a guy named Andy who always got picked on. Um, got picked on constantly. And I decided to simply just be kind to him and just just, just to take an interest in his life and to be kind um, with him. And I remember the last day of that summer, um, the last day of the summer, and, and he said, you know what? You, as no conversation really about faith, and all of a sudden, last day of that summer, three months gone by, he says, you know, you've shown me what a true Christian ought to act and look like thank you when I was in graduate school I uh, worked at Starbucks because I wanted to work in a secular environment Uh, so I worked there and I befriended a guy named Steve he was a Jehovah's Witness and I know our interactions with each other uh, was what made him reflect deeply on his beliefs just being kind it was not wasted time Your conversations are not wasted time. Your daytime and nighttime prayers for the hard-hearted mom or dad is not wasted time. Your plea-filled prayer for the prodigal son or daughter is not wasted time. Your prayer for the people of Ukraine is not a half-hearted plea. It's heard and seen by the living God even today. Nowadays, the culture sees the church as oftentimes more of a place of hurt and not of a place of hope. Now, this is what I'm talking about when we talk about the culture in which we live that the church is called upon to reach the culture in which it lives. Um, just a few weeks ago, I came across a Lifeway article uh, about church attendance and church affiliation. Many of you know this, but church attendance is down about 30% across the board before COVID. In fact, today I think it's the two year anniversary of COVID. Um, and so the things of God are at an all time low. For the first time, Americans are now in the minority Uh, for church membership, which is still crazy to think that we were in the majority for church membership in America, compared to 75% of people in America were members in 1945. This decline with the religious affiliation aligns with a lot of the secular trends. In 1976, nearly 40% of Americans believed the Bible and the Word of God, and it can be taken literally, and now um, it's about a quarter of that And most uh, part of that survey is now it's a collection of just simple fables and history along with that. And you're probably like, well, how did we get to that point? Um, And almost quietly and silently, there's this undercurrent in our culture that as we progress, and as things progress, and as technology progresses, that things, when things get better or bigger, it's like religion and God gets just pushed to the wayside. You know what? We don't need that anymore. We're progressing enough. Technology is better. Science is better. Health is better. Yet in a time when all this is happening, Jesus says this, I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be your God and you'll be my people. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria until to the ends of the earth. And you will be my witnesses in Union Township and Newcastle and Lawrence County. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Amen? And the Antique Roadshow, thinking about this. For that joy and that treasure to come out again, how much more could our affections be stirred for the greatest gift ever received? Jesus. You see, if I'm willing to say that everyone, I think everyone wants their life to count, which is why it's incredible to be a part of Christ's church and Christ's mission. How much more, right, when we bring out that antique roadshow item, I've never been a part of that, I've never had something worth that much, but how much more could our affections be stirred for the greatest gift ever received, and that's Jesus. Just like when we take out that old antique from years and years of dust, how much more could our joy? You see, in Christ's church, everyone's got a part to play. When the church sets fire and the Holy Spirit sets ablaze the church, The gifts of the body are edified. When worship happens, God's glory is revealed. When we're a church set apart, we reveal to the culture around us what it means to be a living and active part of the vibrant kingdom of God, which everyone has a part to play and everyone has a role. You see, we are salt and light. We are the hope of the world. We are people who bring forth good news of peace. We are living stones, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's possession. So participating in God's mission, if you want to start anywhere, for God to do this, for God to reconcile, to bring back the world to himself, then participating is, is asking this question, very basic question, who is my neighbor and how can I show forth kindness to them? Who is my neighbor and how can I show forth kindness? You see, this is broader than simply the person next door, although it could be a person next door, but my, your neighbor could look like anybody who's around you. Who is, who is the person very clearly in your circles, in my circles, who keeps showing up? And I know for certain God keeps nudging, and I know for certain God keeps tacking, tapping me on the shoulder for the sake of mission. And who is that person? As a church, it's my heart. It's my, it's, we've, we've said this as my heart and our goal this year. It, we said this. What if every person reached one person this year? What if, every, what if, what if one, every person shared Christ? What would that look like? What if everyone reached one person this year? This is the mission promise with this. I will, he will, and we can. I will, we will, and he can. He says, I will make you fishers of men. I will build my church. I will, I will, you will be my witnesses. And he will do this, and he will empower us to make disciples. You see, we are the church. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. So will you go fishing? Will you join God in seeing, the, seeing our community through his eyes? And I believe he's saying to this church, you're it. I don't have a plan B. The church is the plan A. I don't have a plan B, and you're it, Washington Union. I believe that you're it on this little church on the west end of Newcastle, Pennsylvania. He's like, you're it. You will. He will. And we can. You are the light of the world, and you are this. And now he's asking us to believe it and to go forth.